culture-wise, the guys who were around me that I was, you know, on the fire company with, they had no interest in it, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't cool, it wasn't exciting. It really just kind of put a wall up toward, toward EMS. And I find that my situation is not at all unique. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Does your department require firefighters to be EMTs or paramedics? Seems like most career departments do these days. But what if it doesn't? Does that mean you shouldn't bother to get certified? Today we're talking about the need to be EMS qualified. Think about this scenario. You respond to a structure fire along with a rescue ambulance. Almost immediately, you find a burn victim, package him up, and send him to the hospital. Now what happens when one of your firefighters is injured making the secondary search? The EMTs are gone. A backfill crew hasn't arrived yet. If you can't treat him, he's not going to get treated. Today's guest says that's just one good reason for every department to have firefighters training medical protocols. Michael Wolfschmidt is a fourth-generation career firefighter EMT in West Hampton Township, New Jersey. His duties include everything from squad and truck company operations to EMS. He coordinates the training for the department as well. He's also a past chief and a life member of the Surf City Volunteer Fire Company in EMS where he started as a junior firefighter in 1998. And Mike Wolfschmidt joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you for having me, Scott. I greatly appreciate it. We're talking here about firefighters that aren't trained in ALS, maybe not even BLS. They don't routinely carry medical gear on their rigs. How common is that anymore? What's interesting is I found it, it, there's a Really wide variety all over the place. Anywhere from perhaps, uh, you know, an ALS crew on the on the engine and they have, you know, the, the ER in the street, you know, all the medications, monitor, all that stuff. Goes from there all the way down to I've been to places where you ask, hey, what do you have on your on your fire truck? They'll pull out a, you know, a little metal first aid kit, you know, from that, uh, you know, probably from the uh, the era of like the show emergency or something. And, uh, you know, everything's expired in there and, there and there's really, you know, maybe a few band-aids and that's about it. Um, so it's, it's really kind of all over the place. Um, so what kind of learning from that, you know, I'm, I've, I've really tried to, um, and, and with the personal experience that I had, um, really trying to bring an awareness to, to, to more firefighters about this. How does your department stack up with this? Do you have medic-trained firefighters? So what we have here, New Jersey is a very unique system. So for ALS, all of our paramedics, they have to be run through a hospital. The hospitals actually have control of all the advanced life support 
provided throughout the state. So then they have contracts with different counties or communities or regions to provide ALS. Pretty much on everything else, so when you have any type of of ambulance, fire apparatus, whatever, everyone's pretty much going to be on a BLS skill. So there's, and there's only so many paramedic units, you know, within a certain area. I have found that certain areas of the state are better than others as far as having enough medic units and BLS units too, to be completely honest. I work as a career firefighter EMT for uh, West Hampton Township. It's located in Burlington County. We're right in the center of Burlington County, southern region of New Jersey. We're right in between the city of Camden, city of Trenton. So we cover a pretty diverse area with a lot of different things. We provide BLS to our community. We have BLS ambulances, and we'll also, in conjunction with that, assist you know, with our fire apparatus. We have a Quint, we have a squad company, and we'll use a lot of our equipment you know, just to kind of back up the BLS calls that we handle. Volunteer-wise, because a large portion of New Jersey is, is still volunteer, namely like Ocean County. So I live in Ocean County. That's where I grew up. The majority of Ocean County is still volunteer BLS. What I have especially found is, is that, you know, resources sometimes get spread thin. If one town doesn't have a crew available, we see a domino effect where now that's affecting all the other towns because they're going, sending mutual aid. There's long transport times, long response times. There definitely is a need for us to be able to take care of one of our own. So have you experienced an event where firefighters on scene didn't have enough EMS training and maybe wish they had more? Yeah, there's one experience I had, which really kind of drives what I've been doing. We had an incident where we were dispatched for a house fire, reported victims trapped. Our quint arrives first. We get there. We uh, we stretch in a stretch inch and three quarter line. Crew splits up. We start to do the fire attack, start to do a primary search. The next engine company arrives. They had a short crew. Their one guy goes inside. He's assisting our, our firefighters. Fell through the floor. Thankfully, did not have any life-threatening injuries. But when he came outside, he went to find the EMTs, the ambulance there. There was no ambulance. Because like I said, initially, the initial report was reported victims trapped. The person who was trapped was able to get themselves out but they were severely burned. So as soon as the ambulance arrived, they picked up that burn victim, put him in the ambulance, started driving to the hospital. They did what they were supposed to do, but there was no one to backfill. There wasn't enough resources there to, to take care of him. Thankfully, at work, I think we're very aggressive. We're, we're in, and I say aggressive in a, in a good way. We're very aggressive with our EMS skills and our equipment. And we had that stuff on, on scene to be able to take care of him. Whereas we noted that the truck that he arrived on did not have anything at all. That to me was, that, that's been like my big push, my big driving point of this is why this is so important. Yeah, I imagine when it happens to you personally, you suddenly get hit by the idea that it's not just a theory, it's actually a real world need. Yeah. Do you know firefighters who don't want to deal with EMS? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you might be surprised to, to hear this, but 15, 20 years ago, I was one of those firefighters. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I was I, I was one of them and I had 0% interest. I had a little bit of first aid training. The initial CPR first aid training I got was with the Boy Scouts. So I had some kind of basic training. You know, when I went to the fire academy, they gave us again, a little basic training, kind of a refresher of what I had already learned. 
And my volunteer fire company, I volunteer with the Surf City Volunteer Fire Company. I, I joined there in 1998, served as chief there, served as a line officer there for 14 years. Our fire company does fire and BLS. We were actually the only fire company in Ocean County to provide BLS since 1990 up until 2016. So it was a very long time. We were the only ones. It was very unique uh, for our area. So when I got involved and when I wanted to start driving the fire apparatus, the chief at the time said, hey, I want you to become a driver of our ambulance. You know, didn't really get a whole lot more training, but you could at least drive the ambulance to calls. And that was kind of his way of gaining another driver. And it gave me a little experience driving lights and sirens to a call before I started driving the fire apparatus. So that's really kind of where I got started with it. Like I said, I was very reluctant. I had zero interest in becoming an EMT. And two, I think there was two reasons, kind of three reasons. One, I just thought, I just not something that really interests me. I'm not really into it. Two, I really didn't like the people who I had to volunteer with on the EMS side of it. They didn't really welcome new people. They, if, uh, you made a mistake, they, they would just scream at you. You know what I mean? It really was not a not a great way to teach somebody. People don't learn when they're getting screamed at. That's just not how, <laughs> that's not how to teach somebody. I, I was very reluctant to it. I, I had really no interest in it. And honestly, the reason I became an EMT was because I wanted to become a career firefighter. And there's so many departments here in, in my area that do require you to be an EMT once you start or to be an EMT before you start working. So, in 2009, I uh, went to the EMT school, and honestly, the only reason I went was just so I could further myself in, in a career just to become a firefighter. Uh, that's the only reason why I did it. And again, I think part of that was also factored from I didn't really care for the people I had to deal with, and culture-wise, the guys who were around me that I was you know, on the fire company with, they had no interest in it, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't cool. It wasn't exciting. It really just kind of put a wall up, I'll say, toward, toward EMS. And I find that my situation is not at all unique. <laughs> that is very, very common wherever you, like all over the place. You talk to a lot of firefighters and you ask them, hey, what, is, what does EMS stand for? And the response is, every minute sucks. So... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> While I, uh, I agree there's some less than desirable times <laughs> with it when, uh, again, I, I've kind of experienced these situations over the years where one of us starts to have a medical issue and you think to yourself, I got to go call for help. I got to do something. I don't know what to do. Okay. And that to me is the worst feeling in the world when you don't know what to do. You're, you're not prepared to handle that. You want to take care of of your friends, your brothers, your family members. You know, I, I'm very fortunate. My volunteer company, I volunteer with my dad, my brother. So um, I want to be able to take care of them. To me, there's nothing worse than you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the skills to take care of one of our own. Or you have the knowledge and you don't have the equipment. That, that to me, is, is frustrating. But aren't we suggesting something here that needs to be done at the department level? In other words, you can't just have a couple of guys who say, well, on Engine 5, we ride it. We're going to have medical equipment. We're going to be trained. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that to me, comes down to culture. It comes down to attitude. And that really starts from the top down, okay? And having that positive reinforcement with it, starting from 
the chief on down and having a positive attitude and having, you know, the right mindset. We need to instill in our people the right mindset. To me, the right mindset is being able to take care of one of us if one of us were to go down. And listen, it's part of our job to take care of people. Let's be honest, though. We all, most of us started in the fire service ultimately because we wanted to help people. That's why we wanted to do this, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know of too many guys who during the job interview when they were asked, why do you want to do this? They said, well, I want to run inside burning buildings. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. say they want to help people. Right, yeah. And I also think part of the issue is, again, like the culture, the attitude, that has to, that's something for us within, within departments. We need to change that. And I also think another kind of a wall to this too is a lot of the training is tough, okay, to, to do some of this training. And I think one thing I think that frustrates a lot of people, I, I think this is nationally is, and I'll use National Registry, EMT, that's what we follow here in New Jersey. I've been very fortunate that of recently I've been able to help teach at our local EMT academy where we're doing this. And the things that we have to teach people, I'll use an example, is anatomy. We have to know all the, all the parts of the heart and the way the, the heart flows and pumps and does all this stuff and all these different types of medical terminology. I'm not saying it's not important, but we focus so much, so much time on all those types of studies and we're not spending a lot of time on, to me, in my opinion, we're not really spending a whole lot of time on patient assessment, taking care of people. We see this. This is this is what we want to do. How to how to critically think. That's huge. Everything that we do in the fire service, EMS, it's all about critical thinking and problem solving. I find that a lot of times when we have to teach, we well, we have to teach this acronym, and you have to follow this acronym all the way down, or you have to follow this algorithm. And I'm not saying that they're not helpful teaching tools, but I find a lot of people, they just get stuck on, well, I have to check this box. I have to check this next box and I can't do this. They're not really critically thinking. Um, and what that translates to in the street is you have people who are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable dealing with patients. They're uncomfortable with their decision making. And I think that's a huge problem. Kind of where this all ties in is I think that a lot of firefighters, well, I don't, I don't really, yeah, I went to EMT school. I, I don't, you know, it's not something I really practice a whole lot. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to hurt somebody. And they just shy away from it because it's, it's easier. It's easier to take the easy road. Okay. Because they're, they're not comfortable with it. And to me, it's very easy just to kind of look the other way and just kind of be like, eh, I don't really know what that is. I'll just close the cabinet. And, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed that I asked a question, you know, this is something I should know, but I, I don't know it. That's something that, that's a hurdle we all need to overcome is we look at a piece of equipment on the truck and we say, okay, we got, we have epinephrine on the truck. Okay. You know what? We, we learned how to do this. It's been years since we went over the training. And if we had a call right now, what are the indications? What are the contraindications? Am I going to give this at the appropriate time? If you don't know, we need to ask, we need to research it. We have a great tool. The, the internet's a great tool. We can figure this stuff out. We have protocols. We can look up the protocol. And say, okay, well, if I see this, if I, if I see an allergic reaction, you know, that has, you know, all these, you know, multi-system organs, you know, we, we see the wheezing, we have a known allergy to whatever, we, we're seeing signs of shock, systolic blood pressure, you know, is like 80 lower. We see all that stuff. 
All right, we, we need to know that, okay? Because that translates into how we're going to, into our decision-making. That really comes down to the individual firefighter and really, I guess, uh, lack of a better term, just being an adult and saying, hey, listen, I don't know how to do this or I'm, I don't remember, so let's learn it, okay? And let's learn it together, okay? Because a lot of these skills we don't do every day. I can remember years ago when I first started doing, doing EMS full-time, uh, about a, about two years after I got my EMT, I started working for a very busy uh, EMS organization, the Galloway Township Ambulance Squad. I learned so much there. And we went to a, uh, I'll never forget, we went to a motor vehicle accident. It was head on. My patient had a broken femur, closed mid-shaft femur fracture. So we they got her extricated. We get her in the back of the ambulance. We start doing a quick assessment. And she met all the indications to apply the hair traction. I pull this thing out from underneath the bench seat and I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, oh man, I learned how to use this thing three years ago. I haven't touched it since. I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. But I felt terrible. And thankfully, my partner was really good, very experienced. The medics were great and they, they helped coach me through it. We, we got the thing on there and helped alleviate some of that pain. And especially from that instance, um, I never wanted to be in that position again where someone needed my help and I, I have no idea how to use this. Trying to avoid that situation, that's, that's huge. So I think that if we can just encourage others, we can kind of erase that awareness and just have that, that attitude, that positive attitude, we're going to save more firefighters, we're going to save more civilians. And that to me is, that's what it's all about. All right, Mike Wolf-Schmidt, thanks for being with me on Code 3 today. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. And there's more information on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash FireMedics. All one word, FireMedics. Check it out. If the crew at your station doesn't want to deal with EMS, play them to the show. It might get them interested in learning more. And it's a good way to spread the word about Code 3, and I appreciate that. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.